subject unto the higher powers, for there is no power but of God. The powers that be are ordained of God. It's good to be in the Lord's house today. Um, look forward to seeing what uh, he has for us. Brother Tom, would you open us in a word of prayer, please? And join me in singing page number two. Glory to his name.
sing. Maybe she did.
All right. Well, it's good to see so many back for the afternoon service. Uh, I do appreciate uh, Lalo and did I get it right? I did. I call him Lalo. Call him Lalo. He's not going to get mad at any of those, but I do want to get right. I told him in my office earlier today, I said, until I can pronounce your name correctly, if we hire you, you cannot leave. So that may make him be here for a long time. What was that name again? Anyhow, uh, we've enjoyed our time uh, with um, them, and it's been such a blessing, and I'm excited that he's going to come preach for us. And uh, so, brother, you come on. Appreciate it. Am I on? Okay, this thing swallowed me, so I'm going to have to do this. That's better. (laughs) I'm just going to embrace the shortness and roll with it. (laughs) Okay. If you guys, um, just a disclaimer, if you hear me talking really fast um, or really loud, um, the loud part is either because I'm nervous or because I'm getting really into the message, so I'll let you decide which one it is. Um, And if I'm talking too fast, you guys can all just do the universal signal to slow down, but I am, I'm thankful for the opportunity that pastor gave me to come and um, preach. I'm thankful the Lord called me to preach, and uh, um, I know he's explained that I'm still green behind the ears, and I'm a young guy who's be- barely learning how to preach, but I'm thankful for the opportunity and don't take it for granted. He showed me all the men that have signed uh, the pulpit here, and it's uh, I'm preaching behind the pulpit. A lot of great men have preached that, so I just um, like I said, I know I'm not experienced, but I am thankful and I'm honored that the Lord's given me this opportunity to preach. And we do, my wife and I want to thank you for the hospitality you guys have shown us. You guys made us feel loved and at home. Um, I'll share a little bit personal uh, in praying about, you know, what the Lord's going to lead for us uh, moving on after Heartland and uh, talking to pastor. I would call some preachers that I've looked up to and I've asked them, you know, what do you think of Pastor Kevin and uh, Pastor Kevin Metzinger and then here at Shawnee Mission and uh, all, I've, all I've heard was they are a very friendly and loving church, and they're faithful, and they're consistent, and uh, that's what I've heard about your pastor and about the church as well, and that's something I'm very thankful for. Thank you for let, letting me and my wife come and um, just be here this weekend, and uh, we're very grateful for all of you and uh, the love you guys have shown us already. I'm going to be preaching today out of the book of Matthew. Matthew's the, uh, the fifth chapter of the book of Matthew. Matthew chapter 5, and we're going to be reading um, verses 17 through 20, and then we're going to skip ahead to verse 48. Um, I'll go ahead and start the reading, and it says, Think not that I am come to destroy the law or the prophets. I am not come to destroy, but to fulfill. For verily I say unto you, till heaven and earth pass, one jot or one tittle shall in no wise pass from the law, till all be fulfilled. Whosoever, therefore, shall break one of these least commandments and shall teach men so, he shall be called the least in the kingdom of heaven. But whosoever shall do and teach them, the same shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I say unto you that except your righteousness, this is a a key verse, for I say unto you that except your righteousness shall exceed the righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees, you shall in no case enter into the kingdom of heaven. We skip forward to verse 48 of the same chapter, and it says, Be ye therefore perfect, even as your Father, 
which is in heaven, is perfect. Go ahead and pray one more time, then we'll get into the message. Dear Lord, thank you for this day of life you've given us. Lord, thank you for the chance we get to gather at your house. I know there's many people around the world who don't get the same freedom we do, Lord, and I pray you help us not to take it for granted. And I pray, Lord, and beg you, Lord, to um, just help me to let myself go, Lord, and let you preach, Lord, the message that you've laid on my heart, God. And I pray you calm my nerves, Lord, and um, just give me the confidence I need, Lord, to just preach the message that you've already been working with me on. Thank you for everything you've done. You're going to be praying, man. Um, so, we'll start with, uh, do we have, I'm assuming we have sports fans here in the building, right? I think everywhere is safe to bet. Um, I, I said yesterday at the meeting that I'm not crazy into sports, but I have a um, little illustration here, and since people know sports here, it's going to work perfect. I was kind of banking on that. Um, and as you begin to connect the dots, I'm sure you guys will know who I'm talking about, but in 1982, there was a young man who loved to play the game of basketball. Um, he, uh, he was on a college team at this time, and he wasn't the best player on his own college team at this time, but he made it very clear and very known, he was very vocal about it to his other teammates and even his coaches, that he wanted to be the very best. He wanted to take his game to the next level. Um, and this was often backed up by his intense and all sometimes scary work ethic that he would show. Um, and when he first arrived to the team, um, he, never, he didn't stick out because of his skills. That wasn't, he wasn't necessarily the best on the team yet. His coaches didn't say, wow, this guy sticks out to me because he's so good at bat. He's a three-pointer, two-point shooter. I don't know what the terms are. Um, but what stuck out to the coaches was that he worked very hard. He was very intense. He was very intense in his work ethic to take his, name, his game to elevate it to the next level. Um, and like I said, at first, while he was on the team, he wasn't the best by any means necessary. Um, and he, uh, but he really did impress the coaches and his teammates at how, how intense his work ethic was. And um, this would pay off as he would gradually increase in skill as the years went on and on. Even, uh, even so, his work ethic was so intense that later on down his career, they, they took off, uh, they interviewed one of his ex-teammates and he would say that after about a two to three hour grueling intense practice full of cardio and drills and, and shooting that after everybody was sweating and drenched, he himself would admit that he was sweating and drenched, this player would come and push him back on the court and say, hey, let's do one-on-one. I want to I wanna practice a little more. Um, that's just how intense this player was. That's, that's just how intense and how much he wanted to elevate his game. He paid off because after three seasons... He got drafted, as you can guess, by the Chicago Bulls, and his name was Michael Jordan. And he, now he's known as probably the greatest basketball player of all time. And a lot of that is attributed because of his intense work ethic. He wasn't naturally gifted. He wasn't naturally the best on his team, but because of his intense work ethic, he made it to be the greatest of all time. And a lot of people um, in the sports world, and even us, we uh, we idol somebody like that. Somebody like Michael Jordan, he is worshipped a lot of times. You see his jerseys everywhere, and any time you bring up basketball, his name is at the top of the list, um, with, without a doubt. It's, un- it's not even a competition. Michael Jordan is the best of all time, and it was because through his career, he really worked hard and labored on elevating his game. He worked so hard, he wanted to take his game to the next level, and we see it paid off. We're going to get back to that, but we're going to get back to our passage here for now and doing some 
some background to catch up to where we're at. When we open the book of Matthew, we first are greeted with the genealogy of Jesus Christ. Um, The book of Matthew was written mostly to a Jewish audience. That was Matthew's intended audience, and therefore portrays Jesus Christ as their promised king, because it's what the Jewish people were excited for. It's what they were looking forward to. They were looking for the promised king who would come and free them from their enslavement. And um, because of this, the Jewish people really valued genealogies. They wanted to, the king had to prove that they came from royal bloodlines, which is why the book of Matthew opens with a genealogy that proves that Christ came from, the king, from king David. He was part of his bloodline. Um, and so he established uh, Christ's um, royalty through that. And um, then we see the beautiful picture in the miraculous picture of account of Jesus' birth, which that in itself was a beautiful miracle that God performed. Jesus coming down and being born as a baby in a manger, humbling himself down to our level. Um, And then we see the accounts of the wise men coming, um, uh, avoiding Herod because Herod wanted to kill baby Jesus. We see the ministry of John the Baptist in the previous chapters. After that, we see Jesus Christ coming and being baptized by John the Baptist. Then Jesus goes up to the wilderness and gets tempted for 40 days and 40 nights. And then just before chapter 6, we see that Peter, I mean that John calls his first uh, followers, disciples, Peter, Andrew, James, and John. And then in 423... Jesus Christ is preaching around Galilee, performing miracles, and as he's preaching and performing these great miraculous miracles, he gathers a crowd. People are saying, this this is somebody somebody who's claiming to be the promised king, the promised Messiah. People are gathering, and this includes Pharisees and scribes. So he gathers a big crowd because of this. His his fame is slowly spreading through through the nations there, and he gathers a big crowd, which leads us into our scripture, which is known as the Sermon on the Mount. The greatest sermon ever preached, and it was by the greatest preacher of all time, Jesus Christ. And now we made it to our passage. That's just kind of the things leading up to our passage. We see Jesus Christ in chapter 6, uh, actually in chapter 5. We start with the Beatitudes, which are a very common passage. Uh, we all know about the Beatitudes. It's an encouragement to read those, and we see who's the, what, is the, what is the person, what do they look like, who does God bless, and we, this is the list we have, the Beatitudes. Let me flip my notes here. All right, I get caught up. <clears throat> and then we come up to the passage that we all know. You know, we are the salt of the earth. That is a very um, well-known portion, a very well-known phrase, as well as followed by, we are the light of this world, a light in the darkness. And then we come to our passage. So as Jesus gathered this, he gathered this crowd, and included in the crowd were Pharisees and scribes who were questioning who this king was supposed to be, who this Messiah was. Verse 17, he starts off with saying, Think not that I am come to destroy the law or the prophets. I am not come to destroy, but to fulfill. The law is very important to the Jewish uh, listeners here because that is what they live their life by. That was their measure of righteousness. You were a good Jewish man. You were a good Jewish Christian if you follow the law to the very T. And Jesus, 
People thinking that Jesus was coming, the Pharisees probably and the scribes were feeling threatened by Jesus Christ because he would, later we find out that uh, the people were amazed by his teachings because he would come and teach with such authority. And the Pharisees and the scribes were threatened because they did, not, they did not give his authority to Jesus Christ. And back then, you got their, your authority from them. So if they didn't give him Jesus Christ's authority, where did he get this authority from? They were threatened by this preaching, these teachings of Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ reassures these Jewish, these Jewish believers, don't worry, he says, I'm not come to destroy the law, the law that you hold so dear to you. In fact, I'm not come to destroy the law, but to fulfill it. And the best example I can think of this is, uh, let's say you have a seed and you want to plant a tree. You have one option where you just crush the seed in your hand, the seed is destroyed. But if you take that seed and plant it in the ground and cultivate it, it'll grow, it'll fulfill itself into a big, beautiful tree. That is what the word fulfill carries, carries that idea of to complete, to make perfect, to make whole. That is what Jesus Christ was saying he came to do. He didn't come to say, this is what you guys have been following for thousands of, gener- for thousands of years. I'm taking that out, throwing it in the trash. Here's a new law. Jesus is saying, no, I'm here to take that and mature it and take it to the next level. I'm here to elevate the law. That's what I came to do. That's what he meant by I'm coming to fulfill the law, not destroy it. And of course, we knew that the Pharisees and the scribes were scared that their own very way of life was being threatened by this new king, this new Messiah, this this teacher. And in fact, in verse 19, um, Jesus, Jesus even again reiterates that he didn't come to destroy. But in fact, he says, whosoever therefore shall break one of these least commandments and shall teach men, so he shall be called the least in the kingdom of heaven. But whosoever shall do and teach them, the same shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. Jesus is saying, I'm not coming to destroy, I'm coming to fulfill. In fact, I still, he, Jesus was still proclaiming that he still thought the law was very important. The law actually goes hand in hand with the gospel that God, the new gospel that God had sent down to man. The law was supposed to be fulfilled through the gospel. So Jesus didn't come to destroy the law, but to fulfill it, even so that he said, it's still good for you to follow the law. That is still what God expects you to do. But here's where we get to our problem, where he kind of calls out the Pharisees. In verse number 20, he says, For I say unto you that except your righteousness shall exceed the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, ye shall in no case enter into the kingdom of heaven. Jesus says, I'm not come to destroy your way of life, I promise. I'm not come to destroy the law. I'm going to fulfill it. The law is still very important, but there was something missing. And he uses the Pharisees and scribes because to the Jewish people, the, the Pharisees and the scribes were the perfect example of somebody who followed, followed the law down to a T. They were tithe on their spices. They were tithe on their food. And they, they were really almost hypocritical, pharisaical. That's where we get the term from on their following of the law. But Jesus says, I'm come to elevate that. And he tells his listeners, can you just imagine growing, growing up in this Jewish community? You grow up and you look up to these great Pharisees, these great scribes, these great teachers. You think, wow, that is what I wanted. That is a picture of righteousness right there. That is a man who follows the law to a T. That is a picture of righteousness. And then all of a sudden, there's this man who's healing people and preaching, preaching something you've never heard before, who's turning who's turning your way of life upside down, he comes and says, you have to be more righteous than these people you've looked up to your whole life. These people who, according to you, are righteous, the perfect picture of righteousness because they follow the law to a T. So Jesus uses six examples 
that the Jewish people, of course, would know very well from the commandments from the book of Moses. He uses six examples to explain, to show what he is expecting from his believers. How, what do you mean by, I have to be more righteous than somebody who, in my eyes, has already achieved perfect righteousness? What do you mean by that? And he uses these six examples. He uses, in verse 21, the example of murder. You ha- he uses that phrase a lot, ye have been told, or ye have heard. And then he, said, he backs it up, and he turns around and says, but I say unto you. And the first one he talks about is murder. You knew in the Old Testament, the old law said you shouldn't murder people. And yes, you shouldn't murder people still, but... I say unto you that if you have anger in your heart towards somebody, you've murdered them in your heart already. And then he goes on to the next one. He says, you know it's wrong to commit adultery. The law says you have to be faithful to your spouse, and it's wrong to commit adultery. It's a sin against God. But I say unto you, take it a step further. If you look upon a woman to lust after her, you've committed adultery in your heart already. He takes it again. The the next thing he talks about is um, uh, people that would uh, use the name of God or, the na- or, or heaven or earth or even the kingdom of Jerusalem, they would try and um, sidestep the truth and they would try and back up their claims by saying, oh, uh, they, they would swear on the name of God, they would swear on the name of, of, Jer- of heaven, the kingdom of Jerusalem. And Jesus was saying, you know, don't do that. Your word should be your word. You should, live, you should have honest conversation. He's elevating the law even further again. In verse 38 says, You have heard that it hath been said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. Jesus again is, is flipping what they thought was, was retaliation, that it was, they were doing right by doing this, but Jesus Christ says, Turn the other cheek. I'm elevating the law once again. And in verse 43 it says, Ye have heard that it hath been said, Thou shalt love thy neighbor and hate thine enemies. But I say unto you, Love your enemies, bless them that curse you, do good to them that hate you and pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you. It was, it was their culture to um, love those that love them. That was really easy. But those that didn't love you, you can just throw them off to the wayside. And Jesus Christ is saying, which is funny because in the law, Jesus, we're never commanded to hate our enemies. So Jesus is saying, I'm even elevating that, that not only are you supposed to love those that love you, those that make it easy for, for you to love them, I want you to take it a step further. I'm elevating it once again. I'm elevating your righteousness once again. I want you to love those that hate you, those that are your enemies. Jesus is really just blowing these people's minds. And then in verse 48, it says, Be ye therefore perfect, even as your Father is perfect. So Jesus challenges his, his listeners here in verse 48 to be perfect like God is perfect. And Jesus, obviously the word perfect here isn't used the same way we use it nowadays, which means no flaw. It carries the meaning of having no flaw. But back then, in the way that Jesus was using it, it means more to be whole, to be complete. So what is this word perfect referring to? He's referring to righteousness. Jesus is asking, he's, he's, he's challenging his listeners to chase after a righteousness that's whole and complete. And what, what does that mean? It means this. The Pharisees and the scribes had an incomplete righteousness because it wasn't real. Jesus is saying, uh, Jesus challenged the Pharisees' righteousness. It wasn't enough for Christ's standards, because genuine righteousness comes from within. The Pharisees had an exterior righteousness. They were more focused on the actions and following the letter to where they looked good in front of people. And they, they knew how to tie, they knew how to, how to pray in public. Jesus Christ addresses that a chapter later. He would, they would pray in public where everybody would see them. The Pharisees had, an, had a fake righteousness. It was a sham. 
Jesus Christ was elevating the righteousness and he was claiming this. True righteousness, perfect, complete, whole righteousness is righteousness that originates in the heart and affects your actions outward. That's what Christ was trying to teach his listeners, these Jewish listeners. Christ had a higher standard for his believers than the scribes and Pharisees had for themselves. And just like this account, Christ is challenging us to elevate our righteousness to the next level. And you see, God doesn't condemn our doing what is right. God doesn't condemn you dressing sharp for church, you giving your tithe weekly, you knowing, you reading your Bible every day because you know it's right. He doesn't, he doesn't condemn you having the right conversation. But Christ is also very much worried, and he's challenging us to make sure that that's coming from within. Righteousness from within. Just like he didn't condemn the law back then, he's not condemning it now for us. And I think it's very, um, I hope you guys are, um, understand that I'm not coming at this from an attitude. I'm, I'm just a fresh preacher. I've never met most, any of you really before. And I'm coming here and I'm challenging you with this. I'm not claiming um, that there's a bunch of fakes at this church. That's not at all because I've heard, I've heard the opposite actually. But I know it's something that the Lord's been really, really burdening me about in my personal heart and convicting me about. So much so that um, I was talking to my wife about it and I was like, you know, babe, I'm going to a brand new church. I'm supposed to be candidating there. People I've never met before. And I'm going to show up and challenge their righteousness. How does that sound? But, <laughs> but the Lord would not let me sleep. He would not let me. I would say, God, if there's, give me an encouraging message to preach to them. That would be great. Um, the Lord just said, no, I'm working on you. I'm working um, on you about this. I want you to share this with them. So I hope you guys are understanding the attitude that's just coming from that. I'm not saying that there's people in here who are, have a fake righteousness, but there very well might be. And this might be a wake-up call or a challenge that you need that God ordained for you to say, you know what, I know that I have a fake exterior righteousness, and you might be lying to yourself a little bit, but as, as maybe God is using this message for you to be honest for your, to yourself and say, I need an authentic righteousness that comes from within. But maybe there are some who you can honestly say, that's something that the Lord's grown me in. And I would just say, I would applaud that. The reason that you guys are celebrating 55 years of faithfulness is evidence that there have been some people that didn't just have a fake, phony exterior righteousness. Rather, it was righteousness that came from within. Because interior righteousness, true righteousness from the heart, is really what makes one faithful. Because while times around you change, your actions can be challenged. But when you have the interior righteousness, interior godliness, that is what lets you celebrate 55 years of being here and being a, a light to the world, being a salt to this area of Shawnee Mission. So if this is something that maybe you're realizing, God, this is something I need to grow in, then praise the Lord. Today's the time to start. And if you've already been working on it, then I applaud you because it's people like you that we can look up to fresh in ministry and use as an example of people who were genuinely righteous. So what does righteousness look like? You know, what are some practical things? I'm a very practical guy. I need, I need something explained to me practically. I'm very simple and practical. Well, let's use the examples that Christ used. Um, it's still very easy for us to be, uh, I'm not going around murdering people. That would, that would not be very good. But it's also very easy for me to get angry at somebody because they wronged me and let that bitterness grow in my heart. I'm guilty of murder already as it is. God's challenging me to let go of that anger, to guard my heart against that. Um, I'm not going to get too much into it, but um, lust and the, 
the temptation of lust is a very real thing in today's society. It's on every billboard. It pops up on your phone when you're least expecting it. Um, and just even just the state of the, of the world, um, it's very easy. And Christ, the same challenge applies to us today, not just for men, but even for women, is, you know, don't commit adultery. Okay, even the world recognizes that cheating and uh, committing adultery is wrong. But Christ says, if you even look upon a woman, you've committed adultery already. That's another challenge that Christ, it still very much stands today, does it not? Especially now, now that every the temptation is around every corner for every single one of us. Honest conversation, isn't it sad how, how uh, untrustworthy everybody can be? And even worse, that whenever maybe there's people in, in a church that have businesses, you can't even trust your own ch- fellow church members because people aren't honest in their conversation. Their yay isn't their yay, and their nay isn't their nay. But may God grow us, help us elevate our righteousness to where when we say we're going to do something or say we don't, we're not going to do something, that's, that's just it. We don't have to swear by God or by heaven or by earth. Even in the very church, that can happen. Forgiveness. Oh, man. Oh, man. Um, it's very easy uh, for people to uh, want to retaliate against those that wrong them. Um, and it's not something that has to be taught. You go to a nursery, and a little baby is playing with, uh, with a little car, maybe, and another one comes and takes it from him. What's that baby going to do? He's going to cry first, and he's going to go and get his cart back. And he's going to make sure that the other two-year-old knows, that was my cart. You messed up, buddy. Even from a very young age, it's natural for us to want to retaliate against those that wrong us. But rather, Christ says, even though they wrong you, turn the other cheek. The other cheek. Forgive them. So, um, 43, <laughs> another rough one. It's easy to love those that love you, but it's really hard to love your enemies, those that wrong you, those that just seem to be after you, to undermine you all the time. But Christ, the same challenge, the same challenge still stands as he was presenting to the Jewish people. It stands for us today. Here at Shawnee Mission, for me and Caitlin as we go back home, love your enemies. Love those that love you, but love your enemies. It's interesting because even, this is a little side note, I won't get off on this too much, but even says, he refers to that even the Gentiles do this, and he wasn't, he wasn't saying the Gentiles were a horrible people, that's just what the Jewish people saw as the heathen. Jesus says, even the heathen love those that love them. You're not doing anything special. What I'm calling you to do is to love those that hate you, those that wrong you. So there's just six examples, and this list isn't exhaustive. There's a lot of other areas we can apply this truth to. But the main truth is this. It's the same challenge. It's, Christ challenged the Pharisees because of their fake righteousness. Because their righteousness wasn't coming from within. Now I ask you the same question today. Is your righteousness genuine? Is it an authentic righteousness? Christ is calling you to elevate that righteousness. Michael Jordan is worshipped in the world today as an absolute amazing player. The greatest of all time. Because he worked so hard at elevating his game. And he became the greatest of all time. But we have an example, somebody that we should be worshiping, who showed genuine righteousness. And that was Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ came to fulfill the law through his life. He was the perfect picture of genuine righteousness. 
Are you looking into the Bible? Are you seeking after those examples? Get into the Word of God and really look, who was Jesus Christ? God has given us plenty of examples in the Word of God that show us what true righteousness is. And He's even shown us other areas than, this, than, this, than just these six that we need to elevate our righteousness in. So, I challenge us all to look inwardly and ask ourselves a question. I, I, I was trying to... Uh, make a, a practical question. I like asking myself questions. And here, here's, here's a, a self-checkup question that I guess we can all ask ourselves and put it in a modern language. When I do things, when I say I do things for God, I'll ask myself, let's, let's be honest, sit down and be honest with yourself. When I do things for God, why do I do them? Do I do them because it benefits me on the outside? Because people will praise me because I'll look good? Or do I do it because it's coming from within? That's a good question to ask ourselves, and that'll test your true righteousness. Is it genuine righteousness, or is it fake righteousness? So, there's areas in each one of our lives that I think the God is um, um, challenging us, convicting us, that we need to grow in, that we need to elevate that righteousness in. And it might not be the same for everybody. For some, it might be anger. For some, it might be lust. For some, it might be forgiveness. For some, it might even just be of honest conversation, honest communication. But whatever it is, look inwardly and ask God to reveal to you, God, what are you wanting me to elevate my righteousness in? Am I falling in this group of Pharisees and scribes? Or am I falling in the genuine righteous Christian? What group am I in? And you ask yourself, okay, Brother Lalo, you've preached to us, you've shown us what a, what a problem that uh, they faced and that we face now. And, and you showed us, you've sort of explained um, how, how is it that we're supposed to fix this? Well, um, just, just take a little journey with me as preacher called me and he said, um, I want you to preach on Sunday night. And I, w- I got su- started sweating instantly, super nervous. And I was begging God, God, what do I preach? I came upon this passage on my devos. And I was, uh, as the Lord began to deal with this, about this with me, I was, this was in my heart. It was heavy. And I drive a lot for work all over town. So I have a lot of thinking time. And I was just, God, how am I supposed to achieve this? Like, God, I know you're calling me to elevate my righteousness, to be genuine, to be whole, to be that perfect righteousness that starts inward and works its way outward. How do I do it? And the first thing that came to mind was look to Christ. He's the perfect example of what true righteousness, genuine righteousness look like, what that perfect righteousness is. And then, lo and behold, two days later in my Bible reading, I get to the famous chapters where Christ shows us how to pray. So the first thing is, Look to Jesus. He was the perfect example. Look in the Word of God. The second thing God showed me just a few days later, take that journey with me, I was so excited, is ask Him for help. Christ shows us how to pray in a few chapters, and He tells us that if you ask God for something, He's like a father who's wanting to give it to you. God will, God will really show you. If you ask Him to grow you, God really will. But He also gives you the strength and the opportunities to grow in whatever area He's challenged you in. And... There's also some very practical things we can do in our lives uh, to help really um, grow ourselves in that righteousness. You know, he talks about cutting off, cutting off your arm if, if, it, if, it, if, it, uh, if it's your downfall. Jesus isn't saying actually literally cut off your arm, but what he's saying is take those drastic measures you have to take in order for you to fight against these things that can, that can be your downfall. If you're struggling with lust, you know, set up restrictions on your phone. 
take care of that. My wife has, my wife has all the passcodes for my phone, and she can look through it whenever she wants, and it's restricted. So take those required steps, those drastic measures, so that you can start training yourself, start training your inward heart to be righteous. And I really appreciate you guys giving me this, this opportunity. I know that there's a lot that I have to grow in, um, but I just pray that you guys at least got the main idea that the Lord really laid on my heart is whether I didn't present it perfectly or right and I stumbled over my words and you could tell I was nervous is this. Just as Christ called them back then, Christ is calling us to elevate our righteousness. He wants us to have that perfect, genuine, whole righteousness that doesn't start outward. It starts in your heart. It starts inward. And that will dictate your outward actions. So just ask yourself, what are some things that the Lord needs me to grow in? Things that I have to become genuine from within. Good to be in the Lord's house uh, this afternoon. Appreciate you coming. And um, we're going to take about a three, four minute break. Um, I need to have a church meeting. So members of Shawnee Mission Baptist Temple, you're encouraged to come back in if you're 18 and older. If you're under 18, um, go ahead and play out there while mom and dad are in here or whatever the circumstance is. I know Brother Alalo and his wife, We'll be out there if you want to uh, talk to them, but we need to hold just a, a short church meeting, and so we'll give about four or five minutes. Uh, when you hear the music, you can come back in, all right? So let's take a break. Mm-hmm. 